Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson. Hope you're doing well. On today's show, we have a special guest from the entertainment world. We're also going to talk sports with him as well. His name is Harry Lennox, and he is an actor on one of my favorite shows on TV, which is called The Blacklist, and he was also in 24. And so if you've never seen The Blacklist, it's been on for seven seasons, and my wife and I started watching it in the fall uh, seven years ago when we first got married. So we've been watching it since the beginning, and it's one of those shows that's really interesting because the main character, the star of the show, is a fugitive. He's wanted by the FBI, but he ends up collaborating with the FBI as sort of a informant, but but really they just work together to ultimately get all the other bad guys that are out there and all the other people on the wanted list or on the, the blacklist. And and so there is this, you know, it's the ongoing good and evil and and, and the characters facing, you know, a lot of different dilemmas when when it comes to good and evil. And there's a, a lot of layers when it comes to fathers and daughter and relationships it's just cool it's just a great show and it's a lot of action and it makes you think and it makes you very aware of the the evil in the world too because some of the topics that the show covers it's like ooh, i don't even want to be watching this but then the the other part of me goes wow this this is happening somewhere like this 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 story isn't totally out of the blue this the 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 blacklister that they're you know uh portraying in this episode is similar to another you know evil person out there so anyway it's just it's an interesting show um so we've enjoyed it and and we're glad that there's uh they're actually coming back for season number eight as long as they can resume production of the show uh because of the virus but i'm thrilled to be able to talk to harry today his character is harold harold cooper on the show is is truly my my second favorite character. Like the main character on the show, it's hard not to uh, appreciate him, enjoy him, like him. Uh, his name is Raymond Reddington, played by James Spader. But Harold Cooper on the show, played by Harry Lennox, is just an awesome character, a great acting job by Harry. And so I'm pumped to have him on the show today. He's also a part of another movie called Revival, that we'll ask him all about as well. And so it's a really fun conversation, and I think you're going to just enjoy hearing some insight into Hollywood and and, and movies and TV and and get Harry's perspective uh, from a faith perspective on 
his career and and just some really intriguing conversations popped up and and just a, a really humble guy and and just uh, really enjoyed his his perspective on things. So uh, definitely stick around. Uh, coming up also at the end of the interview, I'll really unpack one of the big takeaways that I had from from the conversation. Uh, that I think is worth exploring a little bit more. So before we jump in, let me ask you this. Do you need to get your own health insurance? Well, go to healthmarketgenius.com, know your options, go to healthmarketgenius.com, support them as they support us. Also, you can subscribe to our weekday email devotional. We call it Unpack This, and it's a quick thought about sports, faith, and life delivered to your inbox when you subscribe for free on unpackingit.com. Well, right now, let's talk acting, movies, TV, sports, faith with Harry Lennox. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And joining us right now on Unpacking It is the actor, director, and producer, Harry Lennox. He currently co-stars as Harold Cooper on the NBC drama The Blacklist, a show my wife and I have watched since day one. He also appeared in movies such as The Matrix, Love and Basketball, Ray, Barbershop 2, and State of Play. Plus, he was on another one of my favorite shows, 24 He went to Northwestern University, where he majored in acting and direction. He joins us today to talk about his film, Revival, which is being streamed on Pentecost Sunday in church communities around the country. Check out RevivalTheMovie.com. Harry, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Bryce, I'm doing well, you know, all things considered. uh, Don't get out much anymore, like the old song says, but doing well. My wife and I are here in New York City in Midtown and and, uh, you know, as things start to creep back into life, uh, but we're, we're right here in the epicenter. Wow. Well, so, yeah. How has it uh, affected you and in what ways has this been a, a challenging time? And, and have there been some ways where it's been a, a positive experience in some way? Well, yes. Uh, yes. To all of that. I mean, it has been challenging in some ways. Our my immediate effect from the coronavirus was that they shut down the blacklist in the middle of our 19th episode. Uh, those of you who are fans, like you and your wife, uh, know that we finished with animation uh, last Friday. That was our finale. It wasn't supposed to be, but it turned out to be our finale. So, that you know, that's a little shaky. Nobody knows exactly what it's going to look like uh, coming back. Normally, we would start shooting again in late July. Uh, I I tend to doubt that we'll get back that soon uh, because there are going to have to be some, you know, some pretty significant changes in the way we think about shooting the show camera crews being close together. Of course, those kind of, that kind of proximity has to be logistically figured out. But I'm confident that that will be. I just think it might take a little longer than July. But we have been picked up for season eight, so that's great. Which is huge. Uh, so, that, which is great. Yeah, really. Uh, longest job I've ever had, Bryce. Man. <laughs> but uh, that said, you know, I've been also, uh, in spite of the kind of loneliness of, uh, well, not lonely because my wife is here, but, you know, the kind of restrictions on camaraderie that I would normally have in this neighborhood in the city uh, has been shut down, even traveling, of course. So 
that's been a little weird, but in some ways, the good part is that I've been writing. I'm about 80% done with a script, which is on the book of Ruth, one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Wow. Um, the second shortest book in the whole Bible, book of Ruth. And uh, I love the story. It's just such a, a beautiful story of loyalty and faith and friendship. Great story. So I'm trying to reconfigure that. And I wouldn't have probably been able to do it without this coronavirus. Wow, that, that's fascinating. So what's your approach to writing a script on what is already uh, a script in that we have the, the, the Word of God in the Bible and, and, and that, that, that book specifically? So what is that approach like? The shortcut is that you know how the story ends. You know, most if you're going to follow the story, you know the main events of what happened. Of course, I, I did the script for Revival, which you mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, which is based on the book of John. So, I mean, we know how it ends. It's the yeah. the best ending of all time. <laughs> That's right. The, the greatest uh, happy ending ever. Uh, but, you know, how do you get to the end from what we know about the actual truth? So that's that's the challenge. Um, but re- reconsidering it from the point of view of a, of a modern uh, life or at least some kind of recognizable framework rather than some abstract time in the past when people were wearing sackcloth and so yeah. you know it's, it's a lot more fun to kind of think about it how would that how does that apply to the situation today and i think that's a question that anybody looking at the dramatic potential of the bible that's mm. got the best stories you know really c- considering them for a modern time i think is it should be an obligation you know mm. we shouldn't just have to look at costume dramas when we want to think about what moses did or how he, these are real people dealing with real situations. And it's so far away now in most of the uh, presentations of it. I think sometimes people just sort of don't have a personal relationship. They, they admire it. But I think that if you really want people to experience it, it should be kind of uh, an obligation or a duty of the artist of faith, you know, to kind of represent it uh, for modern consumption in, in some way. You know, it's very, I've been, I read a lot, a fair amount about, there's a book actually, uh, it's called Theological Aesthetics. Hmm. And of course, in the old days, art, aesthetics, uh, theater, these are all religious ceremonies, hmm. dances, these kinds of things, you know, sing oratorio and all of these things were really part of a, of, in Greek uh, history and, and Roman history. These are all parts of like religious expression, religious ceremony. Bach wrote this amazing music and so forth. But then some, somewhere along the line, it got separated. Mm. And so it was almost like a separation. We talk about separation of church and state. There's also seems to be a separation of church and art. Mm. And I don't know why. I think that actually, the, the, even at its best, art today deals with these eternal concepts. What is faith? What is loyalty? What is love? What is humanity? What is our uh, goal? What are our intentions and aspirations? These are age-old questions. Uh, and we were just kind of redressing them in, mytholo- you know, like comic book characters, for example. Mm-hmm. Superman yeah. and Jesus have rather a lot in common. Mm. Batman and, and uh, a certain fallen angel, you know, have a lot in common. So this is what the book refers to as in loco dei, that is, in the place of God. Mm. But I, I'm compelled really to go back to God uh, by using all of the tools that we have at our disposal with modern technology in the arts. So oh, that's, that's, awesome. that's my challenge. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I appreciate that. And the, the level of creativity and, and freedom in 
adding that creativity to to approaching a book of the Bible, you know, like Ruth or John, and then all the number of stories that that could absolutely be turned into major motion pictures. And and we've seen that a little bit. The one that pops in my head is the one on Noah. But but I guess my my question for you is, at what point then does it become where the the director takes it too far and we lose the truth and the heart of what the word really says and it becomes more about creating a great movie? So just that balance of sticking to the truth but still wanting to have a quality movie because I feel like that has been the struggle over the years, at least from my perspective as a viewer. I think that's very very accurate. Uh, that's a very astute observation. And I would say that it's difficult enough, no matter what the subject matter is, to make a good movie. You know what I mean? Sure. You want something that engages people. But when you actually say, well, this is a story of Moses, uh, we're going to re-approach it, we're going to reimagine it. But if you, far, if you go too far off of the narrative drive of the movie, that is that this, the God is compelled to make this decision that involves this man and his family and, and certain animals and so forth but there was a reason behind that so so other than just really have very cool special effects and uh you know and 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 animals and cgi and all of these things what is the purpose of that what is the story of noah telling us and i and i don't think that that was actually captured in the film i saw it with some interest yeah but i think to a certain extent hollywood tries to clown the faith Mm -hmm. it tries to capitalize on it it tries to exploit it, but 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 then they think that they're going to outsmart the wisdom that inspired the Bible, and then they and then they find that those movies are not successful or not well received. Whereas something that somebody might not even have much regard for, critically, artistically, some of these movies that make a hundred million dollars that nobody ever heard of, and then Hollywood gets you and it's like, oh, what is this movie? That's right. <laughs> Let's do five. Let's do five more. And throw one. But then they don't want to take the substance. That, as I say, inspires that story and be true to it. They just want to take the uh, the plunder mm. and go away from it. And I, and I think that the results speak for themselves with, when that happens. That's why Mel Gibson's movie, whatever people want to think about Mel Gibson, he told what he thought in the original language and all this stuff, what he thought was the authentic uh, version of, of the Gospels. Mm. And people came out in droves. Like, so, you know, I'm sure people hate a lot of the Hollywood smarty pants hated it. <laughs> And, and they don't like him and they, you know, decry his Catholic faith and so forth. But he was being true to uh, to the Bible as he understood it. And I, and I respect that. Yeah, and it turned out so powerfully, for sure. Yeah. Well, well, it's interesting, too. I was thinking when Hollywood tries to make movies about sports, too, especially true stories, it's the same kind of thing. It's like the sports story is good <laughs> as it is. You don't have to add too much to it. Um, and that's kind of the way with the Bible as well. We'll we'll talk more about your uh, your new movie coming out. Uh, well, it's been out, but but the the re release for uh, for the Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But but I also wanted to mention because you mentioned the blacklist, the the season finale, and even those people that aren't necessarily a fan of the show. I think they would find it interesting to hear some of the details surrounding how you guys actually put together that finale where it was half normal, live action, regular actors, and then the other half was cartoon, comic book. I mean, just incredible, but but looked almost real life, too. It was, it was a fascinating episode. Um, but just the, the, the process of that, what was that like even for you as an actor, a part of it? I was very, you know, impressed with what they came up with just a way to think around uh, an explanation of how to finish, you know, this episode. 
and then to sort of dive into the almost surreal nature of the show in itself. You know, the, the Blacklist has its own kind of reality. You know, we tie up world-ending crises every week in about 47, 47 minutes. So that, that requires a certain kind of suspension of realism. And so it becomes almost hyper-real. It becomes, you know, a, a, its own thing. And I think that uh, to make that visible in the form of actually kind of having it as a graphic novel, again, I think it, it gets to the very basic question of what is the function of this art form that we have or, or presentation form, if you don't consider TV art, what does it afford us to do? And what it really does is it gives us the opportunity to, to put a lens, uh, to periscope almost uh, a, a, an experience in a neat little package. And we actually draw attention to the fact that it isn't trying to be real, that it is aware in itself that it is a kind of uh, graphic novel uh, in terms of its reality. I think it becomes meta television. You know, people talk about meta theater. You know, theater draws attention to the fact that it's it is theater, that it knows that it's making a statement uh, that is outside of the of the story itself, commenting on itself. I think that uh, that that was really interesting, and I and I I also have all always come to I have come to realize that some of the greatest inventions are by compulsion. You know, there's, there's that old. Uh, saying that necessity is the mother of invention. And I think that that's true. And sometimes, you know, a happy accident even, like when the monks in France discovered champagne because they, they lost the barrels of wine that rolled downhill in effervesced. <laughs> a happy accident. In the case of uh, something like uh, this blacklist having to do what it had to do and being able to draw on actual precedent and things like The Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And so you, you actually go from what is real to a hyper real thing. What does that give you? It gives you a lot. It gives you a lot. It gives us the ability to, for example, we shoot the blacklist in New York. They were able to show in the animation, you know, the Capitol building. They were able to show certain iconic uh, Washington DC things, putting the characters in them, uh, you know, even though if they were in animation, but I think it really kind of added to, you know, the presence, the, 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 the intrigue, Washington DC, has its own FBI field office. New York City has its own field office. You know, there's only a certain amount. But anyway, the, the, the bottom line is that uh, I think it gave us some great advantages. And I think if they had more time, the animation would have been, you know, uh, the next level would have been better than what they had the time to do. But I think that they did a, a very sufficient job. Yeah, I think the style they landed on, because, yeah, with technology today, it could have gone a couple different directions. The one they landed on really fit well. I thought it was, I thought it was fascinating. So they did, they did a great job. And that's what's been cool this, you know, through the last couple of months. We have seen creativity rise to the top and, and you know, f- across the board, whether it's sports television or TV shows or, you know, the, the talk shows, guys like Jimmy Kimmel, you know, all these guys are, are stepping up their games. And it's just been fun to see. I, I, I appreciate that. So, of course, as a Blacklist yeah. fan, I, I loved it. And, and my one, one other question about the Blacklist, like it's funny for me as a fan who's watched every show, I know you as Harold Cooper. And so now today I get to interview the, the real guy, Harry Lennox. And, and so, so I'm, I'm curious, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but, but what are the similarities and differences uh, between you and the character that you play on the blacklist. And, and in many ways, you're kind of the moral compass of the show. And, and, and you, you're the leader and you're this guy. So how much of that is kind of who you are in, in real life? You know, it's, 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 it's strange. Normally, I think a lot of actors would probably have this same opinion. 
you get cast in a thing and then your life starts to reflect the character that you're playing in some way, <laughs> you know, like when I, uh, <laughs> you know, when I play a general, I, I kind of, you know, get seen I, things in my life, put me in touch with people who were in the military. You know, uh, when I started playing Car- Cooper, I, I got a whole bunch of friends who are now in the FBI. My mm. own brother was law enforcement for 30 years in Illinois. So I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a lot like Harold Cooper, but, uh, but he's somebody whose clothes I've worn, so mm. to speak. Mm. It's kind of like putting on a uniform. And I, I know that uniform well. I've been doing uh, characters like this now for probably the last 20 years. You know, in my earlier days, I kind of played, uh, you know, sort of the bad guy in many cases, mm. uh, the nemesis in many cases, uh, sometimes villains, smart Alex, you know, these kinds of things. But now I kind of play authority figures and I don't really have any authority over anything <laughs> in my real life. But you know, I've directed plays and I've produced movies and that does put you in a leadership position. And sometimes I'm able to draw on, you know, and it goes both ways. I can endow uh, Cooper with what it's like to have to instruct, you know, teams of people to carry out an action on the schedule. And then sometimes, you know, I take things from what I've read in one of those speeches or a scene that was done in real life, and I kind of say, "Oh, well, this is how they did it in the movies or in the television show," and uh, and it's helpful, you know. So I think that you wind up sort of sharing characters, traits, attributes with the characters you play. And as I've gotten more mature as an actor in my life, I used to want to be anybody but me. Hmm. I used to want to, you know, go way outside of myself, develop the walks and the talks and all of these. And I, I still like to do those things from time to time. But I think finding different aspects, different aspects of myself, and putting that into a character actually gives it kind of a more immediacy hmm. and a more a realistic kind of quality more natural yeah no question wow no that's cool yeah no your your characters probably my second favorite of course reddington always steals the show but but yeah but i've enjoyed i've enjoyed your character for for seven years so uh it's 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 awesome to to talk with you um all right so you're you're from chicago you went to northwestern and and i assume you're a big chicago bulls fan and so the bulls are back into the spotlight everybody's talking about them I, i couldn't get enough of the the documentary the last dance so, so as a, a fan, as I assume, what did you make of the documentary? What were your big takeaways? Yeah, you know, it's been a real nostalgic kind of trip, you know, uh, putting myself back in the mind of what was going on in the 1990s. I was in Chicago, at least for part of that time, during the first uh, three peaks. I was there for a couple of years, you know, doing, even if I wasn't living there at the time, I was doing plays there in the summer. I remember Michael Jordan in 98 came to see me in a play at the Goodman, not me, but he came to see the play, a play I was in at the Goodman Theater, meeting him. It's almost, honestly, it's like walking with John the Baptist or or Christ, you know, when he was walking the earth with his apostles, you see this figure who's like otherworldly, you know, he had this mystique Hmm. about him and then sort of being reminded of all of that and what he was able to do just by pure force of his will uh, hmm. that he was able to dominate an entire sport and to bring it to another level. But the cost that, that he paid for that has been very instructive. And I look at it, you know, now and I'm thinking, hmm, if I had that ability, uh, that singleness of mind and uh, that kind of athletic uh, uh, prowess, would I have been able to do what he did with that? Win six championships, you know, three t- twice, three times in a row. 
and I, I think probably not. I don't think I have that kind of drive. But then I think about the consequences of that drive and the kind of mixed opinions about him as a person and having to live with that legacy. And, and what's been interesting is that he seems he seems okay with that. And I'm okay with it too. Like it's not my life to live, but I don't think I would have been able to pay that price. Uh, being that demanding of myself and of others to the point where you're playing you know, games after eating a pizza by yourself <laughs> that night. Now, you know, the, the interesting thing is that actors perform sick all the time. Oh. All the time. I've uh, I've seen actors get stabbed with knives in the leg in real time, bleeding, get patched up, uh, and go back into the finish the play. I myself have been injured on stage, hitting the head with bottles and things like that. You just, you carry on. Uh, being sick to your stomach in between scenes, <laughs> running off stage, you know, these... So actors are kind of used to that kind of uh, pressure and and making yourself perform. But in terms of like um, wanting to conquer everything around you uh, in order to achieve this end, I don't think that I would have been able to do that. And I think perhaps that's reflected in my career to some extent. I, You know, Bryce, I could have had a probably a bigger career than I have had or am having if I'd been willing to do certain things, compromise certain principles, and it's not all of a you know casting couch stuff. It's not always that. Mm. But uh, taking on roles that you know I didn't want to have to explain away, apologize for, uh, the demeaned, uh, uh, the humanity of, of the character or of a people, you know I can't. I'm not going to do that. And so I think that. Um, but I'm I'm okay with the with with the consequences of. It. I've had an interesting career, a good career, very good career. Uh, nobody knows I'm not a household name like Michael Jordan. But what does that cost? Yeah. And so just watching the cost of that, you can't go out and have a hamburger like you would be. Yeah. You can't, you know, he, everything he does is scrutinized. Uh, everything he said. So I don't, you know, I wouldn't want that. But seeing him and knowing that somebody once exemplified that, was willing to do that, uh, I'm, I'm kind of grateful. Like, I think the entire world, owes Michael Jordan uh, a debt of thanks because he made an art, almost a, a kind of an inspiring, almost religious spectacle in some way hmm. of showing what the potential of the human body and mind and, and will it, it can do uh, when it's, when it's focused on something. So it's been, it's been a revelation. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many layers to it and, <laughs> and so many, positive qualities that you know we we can be inspired by but then yeah to your point i mean there's so many other things that that you look at him and you go man i feel sad that he had to kind of go through that that he had to become that um sacrifice that and it's it's tough And, and i think a lot of the flaws bubbled up that maybe we've overlooked just as fans over the years and they were put more into the forefront which was interesting and that he embraced that was willing to to put all that out there and say, "Hey, this is who I yeah. am," uh, versus trying yeah. to, you know, hide all of that, and and just the idea that you know, as fans, we tend to worship athletes and praise athletes to this extreme degree, and Jordan more than anyone. And as so I, I write a devotional, and so one of the topics was, "But well, why don't we worship God with that same kind of passion and, right. and abandon?" <laughs> I mean. We're, you know, I'm, I'm willing to call my buddy and say, oh, did you see the last dance? And can you believe what Jordan did and all that? But why are we so hesitant when it comes to, man, Jesus died on the cross for us. He saved us from our sins. And we're hesitant yeah. to, to, to be as vocal and worshipful in, in many ways. So that, that was one of my big, big takeaways from it. Yeah, very good. That's what, once again, that's very astute. And I, I think, uh, you know, that whole in loco dei 
thing, you know, that people find replacements yeah. for God when they don't need to. <laughs> There's a God they can go directly to. And, and, and that. So yes, I'm in 100% agreement with, with you, yeah. even though we, as I was teasing you about your Christian Leitner and Steph Curry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Jerseys. <laughs> No, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we can we can admire the you know what they do and all that, but I think for me, just growing up as a Jordan fan, to think you know what this guy's a flawed guy, and we can appreciate all the accomplishments, and it's awesome, and we can be inspired by it, yeah. but with yeah. within reason kind of thing. But yeah, absolutely. But but you you brought it up, and I was actually going to ask you about it, just how your faith influenced certain roles that you would take or not take, or certain scenes that you would be unwilling to do. And so you, you talked a little bit about that, but I, I kind of want to hear even more about that, how that uh, played out, and and even how that affected your rep- reputation in the industry, and uh, I, I guess ultimately, yeah, what what did it. Uh, cost you at, at, at some point? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, it really hasn't been on a faith level as much as it's been really on a cultural race level. On, oh. on some, you know, for example, uh, but there have been times, you know, where I, I felt that things clowning people of faith ha- have, have not been okay with me. And I, I say things about it. I don't think that I've suffered because of, of it, but just setting the record straight that a person uh, of faith uh, would, would not do would not do X, Y, or Z. You know, I was looking, for example, and I didn't, I wasn't in the movie, but in looking at uh, something like Doubt, the movie with Meryl Streep and Viola Davis, mm. where a black mother uh, has reason to believe their son's being molested and insists that her son goes to the school. Anyway, because, you know, life at home is difficult and they don't have a lot of money in, in all of these things. She, uh, she makes a calculation. But that's complete nonsense. To me. I don't know any person like that. Hmm. I went to Catholic schools my whole life. I was going to be a Catholic priest. I studied to be a Dominican priest uh, in Chicago at the time, the largest high school seminary in the world. The Pope came to my high school in 1979. You oh, know, wow. so I was in the audience <laughs> of the Pope himself. And I, and my mother, you know, single mother raised me and my three siblings by herself. She would never have allowed that to happen. I taught in the Chicago public school system. I'm telling you that I don't know that person that mm. John Patrick Shanley wrote. Mm. And so, you know, and I, and I've said this and, and, and so forth. So sometimes I have to defend the faith and, and a pride of a people. And in that case, both things were offended. Uh, by by the statement of that play. I think that that's nonsense, as I said. Mm. Not that there aren't bad priests and so forth, but you know, I, I grew up priest, around priests my whole life. Uh, my father died before I was two. Mm. And not one time. Uh, of course, we know things happen across all religions mm-hmm. and people with no religion. Yeah. But that's, a, you know, to keep singling out this kind of thing, you know, for dramatic exploitation, I think is is not fair and certainly not a very, not a very nuanced conversation. But sometimes, you know, I, they, I've been asked, to, you know, to, to uh, resent or reject my interpretation of a character uh, in a situation that somebody who does not know black people or does not know the circumstance in the inner city, whatever that is, in the, uh, you know, urban America in places like Chicago, who write things and believe that they know how people would behave under those circumstances. Uh, I, I find myself having to correct that infrequently. Rice, just to be perfectly clear, mm. the people writing those things are black, mm. and they have and they have uh, people saying things, doing things, talking a certain way, 
that is not representative of the actual circumstance at, at that time or, or at any time. And so, you know, I, I know that I could have, you know, done things, uh, uh, taken certain roles, said yes to certain projects. I'm not going to, you know, name those projects and so forth. Yeah. But I've been asked to do things and hang out at, at, uh, at parties and to kiss the ring of certain people that offended my pride and my sense of dignity in some sense more than my faith. But I don't separate those things. I wouldn't have the dignity of life mm. and pride without the lessons that I learned, you know, from my extensive training in the church. I'm very grateful to the Catholic Church. Mm. Uh, its record has not been perfect mm. in many ways, in, 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 in almost any way. Um, but that said, it's always asking itself, how do we get better? How do we address this? How do we fix it? I don't think there's ever been a time uh, when there wasn't some council or some meeting or some synod or something that's going on. And I think in, in general that the church, Christians who are right thinking, and I, and I prefer to think that most of them are, are constantly asking themselves, what can I do better? Where did I fall short? What would Jesus have me do? What, what would God or, you know, for people who are not Christians, what would God think about what I'm doing? That really is the ultimate question I think that any of us can ask at the end of the day, just from a very existential point of view. Who is God and what would God, and what would God believe or think or have me do? Hmm. Uh, I'll either do that or not, <laughs> yeah. but but that is a question I think that, that we are constantly asking. Wow. No, that's, I appreciate that, that perspective. And and I think the, your your passions are coming out with the, the, this project, Revival the Movie, so you're able to put your, your passion and, and heart into this and feel confident uh, in the message behind it, which is uh, the story of Jesus according to John. It's a, it's a musical, and, and so you guys had a, a big push and streaming it on Easter Sunday. So how did that turn out? And then take us into what, what the plan is for Pentecost uh, Sunday coming up uh, at the end of the month. Easter Sunday went well. It gave us, you know, a lot of indi- a lot of information on how to get the message to the people that we want to direct directly reach. Uh, this is really a direct to consumer effort, and I think this is really the way to go as the industry is trying to figure out what are we going to do next. And so the timing of this has been uh, almost providential in a way where we're thinking the same thoughts that Disney or somebody is thinking. You know, how do we get this to the people? needed most. And so this is, uh, you know, in making the movie, my goal, Bryce, was to celebrate the faith experience of the Black church uh, using some of the greatest sacred music ever written. We call it gospel music. I call it sacred music. And there's never been anything like this. Like, we've never seen that music used as a narrative device to tell about the life and ministry of Jesus. Mm. And the people who created that music, being able to actually physically see it in a form that is relaying what Jesus what Jesus taught, what he did, what he thought, what he said. And so I, I'm very proud of it in that way and to be able to give that directly to the people without having to uh, answer questions or take this or that scene out or, you know, really be able to put it out there like we conceived it. And I, I, I wrote this with my friend, Dr. Holly Carter, who is a, a great producer of uh, this kind of content. She did a movie about the Clark sisters on Lifetime at Easter as well. So uh, there's a whole market out here of people of faith Mm -hmm. who don't have any representation, who can't see themselves uh, 
you know, in the media, in the, in the general uh, entertainment industry. Like, you know, Roma Downey and Mark Burnett, of course. I mentioned Mel Gibson, uh, a number of people. The, uh, uh, what was it, the Pure Flix? Yeah. You know, the, the, a bunch of groups have, have created content, great content. There's an audience for it. They've proven a concept. And I'm trying to prove the concept that the people who are most identifying with this story, with this message, 90 some percent, I think, or whatever, a great percentage of black people are Christians, more than any other group of people in the United States, hmm. by far, by far. Hmm. And yet, where's the content? So we wanted to go back to the source to show that these stories uh, are relatable to us today, uh, specifically, uh, but also we could be true to, to some extent, to correcting the historical record that, uh, you know, I'm not saying Jesus looked like Bali music, <laughs> but I know he didn't look like, you know, he wasn't blonde with beach, you know, uh, oh, yeah. body hair and all <laughs> of these kinds of things. So I, I know that for sure. We know that. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so to some extent, it, it serves the purpose of having what everybody else has, which is uh, the opportunity to celebrate your faith and culture uh, and be able to relate to the people who are representing those figures on screen. And I, I think it's high time. It's not disruptive. I'm not taking anybody's uh, food out of anybody's mouth. Nobody's thinking about these people. <laughs> and so uh, so for me, it really is a way to know God better uh, from the point of view of that cultural expression and experience, which I did not grow up with, uh, but to be able to actually to see these stories uh, that are told, put into song and dance, the highest you know kind of form of art that uh, we, we, we think of, of singing as heightened speech. Mm. We think of dance as heightened movement. And to be able to bring our highest praise to this subject, I think, is a, is a duty. And I'm glad that we were able to to, uh, to accomplish it. That's awesome. Oh, man, I love that. And, and like we were talking about earlier, keeping the core message and then making it re- relatable as far as how it's acted out and who the actors are and... and does this take place currently or is it, I guess it's the story of Jesus. So you have it taking place more in biblical times or how, how did you set that up? The time period of it? It's sort of all time. It's, it's okay. kind of its own time, you okay. know? And so I say that to say that uh, a lot of it takes place in antiquity, the clothing and all you can yeah. see that, but yeah. then we all put in modern clothing as well. Switch it from a live action thing to a stage presentation. Oh, okay. You know, it's the same. It's the same idea again behind you know meta theatrical, meta television, meta cinema, where in a story, for example, like the Red Shoes, based on the Hans Christian Andersen story, the experimental nature of that. That sometimes it's in the environment, sometimes in the stage as a presentation, uh, drawing the parallels between the public performances of miracles that Jesus did. And the ones that he did privately, some stuff he did for show. There's a great, uh, there's a great theologian. I can't remember his name right now, but he says that when Jesus fed the five thousand people with the loaves and the fish, that was dinner and a show. <laughs> <laughs> I've never and heard so, that. That's good. <laughs> me either. I thought That's that was good. brilliant. That's but uh, but I think that he raises a good point. Jesus knew who his audience was, and, and uh, to a certain extent, to a big extent, the gospel writers knew who they were writing for too. Some of them are writing to Jewish Christians. Some are writing to Jews. Some are writing to new Christians who, who had no association. They knew the audience. Mm-hmm. And, and we wanted to make that, again, kind of very clear in the way that we presented it. So it's all time. You know, we believe that 
there's actually a scene in the movie where I play Pontius Pilate and I walk from a modern day boardroom back through time to confront Jesus. Oh. Because I think that anything that has happened since the time of Jesus is almost a direct result of the fact that there was a Jesus Christ and, and, and it shaped the world, it changed the world entirely. So anytime you open up the page of the Bible, you're really going back through time and you're really sort of thinking, well, how, how would this apply today? And again, and I, and I think it does. That's, that's awesome. Revivalthemovie.com. Well, you mentioned how, uh, of course, Jesus changed everything. And, and because he walked on earth and died on the cross and rose again, it changed everything. And so for you, Harry Lennox, how did he change your life? And how has your life been transformed because you know him and follow him? Yeah, well, I, f- I feel in some ways, I can't remember a time that Jesus wasn't a, a deeply interesting person to mm. me. Uh, so I don't remember. So, so I don't, there were times when I did and did not believe that he was God. Uh, I always thought he was the son of God. Mm. I always thought there was a God. But again, this is a question that, that the church itself has been asking from its very foundation uh, before there was anything but a Catholic church. Where it was just the Christian community, uh, people like Arius and uh, Alexander the Metropolitan and uh, Athanasius, you know, they're always at who is God? Who is this guy, Jesus Christ? Mm. Is he a son? Is he God? You know, these are deeply interesting things. So that said, I remain curious about that great mystery. I do believe that Jesus uh, did those things that are described. I think he raised himself from the dead after three days. I think that the person of Jesus was different before the resurrection than after. So like, it's kind of like being uh, Jesus on steroids after the resurrection, hmm. uh, where he's appearing in different places and, and, and through two and three places at one time. He wasn't doing that before. Hmm. Uh, nobody even recognized him. So anyway, what was the nature of that change? Anyway, the bottom line is that uh, I don't have any answers, but I believe that I have never walked one day on the planet without comparing what it is I'm thinking and doing to, to Jesus in some way thinking, I can't do that. There's no way I could possibly do that. And then remembering his admonition that you'll do greater things than, I, than I've than i done. You know, if you receive this message, if you do all of these things, and trying to uh, challenge myself to do these, and failing miserably most of the time. Mm. Uh, but I think that, you know, when I accepted Jesus the second time, when I because I had gone away from that, that is to say my Christianity, probably about 10 years, where I was... Uh, agnostic, hmm. always believe in God, not knowing the nature of God, never an atheist. But when I, in church, raised my hand, uh, and as I say, it's about 10 years ago now, when he said, who wants to know more? My pastor, Jeffrey Martin Lewis, and I raised my hand. And I didn't intend to say, hey, I acknowledge, hey, I'm a born again Christian or what have you. Uh, what I was intending to do was to learn more. And I'm reminded always of the story in the Bible. Maybe it's Luke. But the guy says, uh, Jesus says, if I could do something, Jesus says, if you could just believe, you could do all all of this would be possible. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my disbelief or my unbelief. Yeah. That to me is, oh, and I put that in the movie. (laughs) But it was, yeah, we we took it out. We had to take it out for whatever reason. Gotcha, gotcha. But I love that question. And, 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 you know, I love it just personally because I find myself asking that question all the time. I Mm. believe, help my unbelief. Ah. 
You know what I mean? Uh, what in those honest... moments where you know where you don't want to do what you should do. <laughs> yeah, it's just an that's an authentic faith, really, is what it is. Right. Um, and then and that's what that man, yeah, trying to get his uh, I think his daughter healed or son healed in that story. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, man, no, that's that's great. Well, I, I appreciate you you sharing that. And uh, and so uh, now that the, the movie has has been out there, what has been some of the the response or, or feedback or uh, are you sensing that this is leading to some life change for, for those that have been been watching it? You know, I, I, I think that the, uh, the the response has been great, you know, from what I've read. I haven't read anything that said this is the worst thing I've ever seen or. I actually did have one person who I know from from the seminary mm. who couldn't stand it, who couldn't stand it. But most people love it, and I think they genuinely, you know, are, are intrigued by it. Uh, they haven't seen anything like it, so they're fascinated. Uh, I think that exposure to the story itself sells itself. Like I, as you pointed out earlier, I don't have to create anything in it. Really, it's uh, the story speaks for, for itself. Yeah. It's the most popular religion in the world. 3.5 billion people on the planet, roughly, I guess, half of the planet or something, are self-identify as Christian. Uh, so I don't think I have to push it. I just have to make sure that it is out, that it is available mm. for the people who might have an interest in it. And I think that uh, once they are aware of it, that they that they will receive it. And so we're actually doing a Facebook social media campaign. Um, you know, we don't have the millions of dollars to advertise like like certain movies and productions. Uh, this is all self-funded. I, I raised and produced it myself with a lot of sweat equity from other people. You know, this is really a labor of love. I, I want people to, uh, you know, to see it just because I believe that they can be helped by it. They can be encouraged by it. It's a fun movie. Jesus is really cool in it. The music is great. It's a good time. It makes, it makes people feel better in this kind of, you know, an- anxious time. Uh, as I say, and, and it's not something I had to invent. It's just, you know, putting it up there in a way that, uh, that captures something that I've been experiencing now, you know, for several years. Revivalthemovie.com and uh, definitely check that out. And, and it's going to be streaming and it's also available. You can purchase it as well. Um, but, but they're streaming it for churches and, and different faith communities to be a part of it. So uh, Revival the Movie dot com and and i guess uh, last question just going back to your story real quick so 10 years ago when you kind of came out of uh, the the season of uh, of being an agnostic and, and maybe wrestling with the, your faith in that part of your journey what what kind of changed what brought you maybe back to church or ultimately led you to well jesus stirred in your heart but but what what were some of the circumstances that that led to that well it's very simple like i could i can uh i can give you the exact name. So there's uh, my business partner, my creative partner, her name is Dr. Holly Carter. She is the head of the dance and praise ministry, worship ministry at the church, New Antioch Church of God in Christ in LA. So when I was a Muslim and when I was an agnostic and all these things, she would ask me as, as a professional, because I had directed her in a play in 1994, uh, she would ask me you know, to come in and, and give some kind of professional advice, uh, you know, touch it up a little bit, so to speak. And I would go into the church and the people were just wonderful. And uh, they would invite me to services and I would go from time to time. And always had a great time, felt just like home. Every time I would go, it was like I had never left. And so I, I that's my immediate connection is that I, I would go and help out the plays. 
And I guess it just sort of seeped into me <laughs> that I went to this one Sunday service for no reason. There was no play on. Oh. And the pastor asked that question, but it was almost like, you know how it is when you're sitting in church, probably sometimes it's like the preacher's talking exactly right to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, and something made me raise my hand. Oh. And so, uh, but that, but that's how I, I got there. And it is because I got there that, uh, that I reclaimed my faith. Mm, that's awesome. Amen. Well, now, now you're encouraging Amen. others and, and sharing the story of Jesus, uh, according to John. And so it's a, the, the musical, uh, is called revival. And again, revival, the movie.com. Well, Harry, man, so great to connect with you. Loved having you here with us on unpacking it and uh, keep up the great work on the, uh, the blacklist as well. And my wife and I will be watching there too. Excellent, Bryce. Great talking to you. I look forward to doing it again. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. <laughs> There's Harry Lennox joining us here on unpacking it. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is unpacking it with Bryce Johnson. And we're back in studio to unpack the interview with Harry Lennox. It was awesome and a real treat for me. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And a couple big takeaways. First off, uh, I love that he uses the Bible to come up with these these movies. And and so the movie that's out is based on the book of John. And the, the one that he's now able to write because he's been at home is about the book of Ruth in the Bible. And it's just another reminder to us that the stories in the Bible, they're real, they're relevant, and they're powerful, and they're incredible, they're amazing, and we've got to spend more time studying them, thinking about them. And, and I like the idea of bringing them to life and you know being able to contextualize them to what's going on in today's world now, we don't get rid of the truth, we don't get rid of the, the, the basis of what is said, but we just make it to, to, you know, we're able to take those stories, and whether it's through movie or music or, you know, how we, we talk to people about the Bible, we, we make it, uh, you know, just relatable and, and understandable and, and that kind of thing. And so I, I, I think, well, for one, the gospel truth, we gotta, everything needs to be rooted in that, and so... The, the the book of John is about Jesus and, and, and his story, which is incredible. So so that's kind of my, my, my thought on that is the stories are good on their own, and we can take those stories, the principles of them, and make them culturally relatable, I think is the is the way to put it. And I so I'm I'm willing to embrace that. And because what we do here at Unpacking It is we take the principles of the Bible and the stories of the Bible and we relate them to sports. And so we're able to use sports content to bring out, okay, what is the Bible saying? Oh, when you put it in the context of sports, now I understand what the Bible is saying. And so it just helps people to, 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 to connect the dots a little bit more. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Like Our God is such a big God. He gave us his word, but then he, he speaks and he moves in, in so many different ways, and people hear God and see God's goodness in movies and music and sports and all these different ways. And I love that. And again, 
comes back to the truth of, of God, so I don't want to get away from that, the truth of the Bible. I'm a Bible-believing follower of Jesus, and and so I, I believe in, in, in keeping the, the Word of God as the baseline, uh, but I'm also eager to see how people can bring it to life, bring it to life, and, and, and make different groups of people understand it better. Because speaking the, 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 you know, the word of God in different countries and different settings and different age groups, uh, certain people respond differently. Um, and so allow the Holy Spirit ultimately to, to move. He's the one that's going to stir in our hearts. But, but yeah, good, good for guys like Harry that want to put content out there in the, the movie and TV world uh, that can point people to Jesus in unique ways. So that's my big takeaway today. Uh, would love to know your thoughts on that. You can shoot me an email, Bryce at unpackingit.com, Bryce at unpackingit.com. And that was a fun one. So uh, thanks to Harry for being our guest today. And as we wrap things up, as always, I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected. And through faith, I've been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well. And I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.